This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mine, a podcast about maternal mental health, from conception to pregnancy and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who have made it from struggling to wellness, and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional. Thank you for being with us today. This episode touches on topics that may be sensitive for some listeners. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm Dr. Kat. We are very fortunate to have Kate Beatty with us today to share her experience and offer insight into some of the struggles that moms and families face but rarely talk about. Kate Beatty is a mom of three who was in the infertility trenches for three years before experiencing the joy of motherhood. Her journey led her down a path to adoption and later embryo adoption. Her experience with post-adoption depression after the arrival of her first son was a struggle she did not expect and certainly did not comprehend entirely at the time. She utilized all these experiences to help women on the same path through education and support. Kate is sharing her story with us today, and the hope is for moms and families to know that they're not alone and that they can reach out for support. So welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. So um, let's just start uh, with your story, and um, please let us know more about your experience and, and what's gone on for you. Okay. Well, my husband and I were married in 2007. And at the time that we were married, I already knew that I had a diagnosis of endometriosis and that there was the potential that it would be difficult for us to have children. So Mm -hmm. we tried on our own for a while. And after about seven or eight months, uh, I went to the doctor and said, this is what's going on. And she referred me to an infertility specialist. And when we went, they said, of course, you're having trouble. You have endometriosis. This makes perfect sense. We'll mm-hmm. try IVF and you'll be pregnant in no time. Oh, so okay. we attempted IVF for the first time in 2008, just before uh, Labor Day. And unfortunately, we had a negative result, but mm-hmm. we did have some frozen embryos. So we attempted a second time in November of that year and I became pregnant. 
only to miscarry a few weeks later, right before Christmas, Mm -hmm. which was horrible. Um, And we did go on to try again the following year. We attempted IVF another two times, both Mm -hmm. times unsuccessfully. And Mm -hmm. we also attempted, (laughs) for some odd reason, IUI, which normally comes before an IVF. Um, which for those who don't know, IUI is intrauterine insemination, but the doctors Mm -hmm. thought that there was a possibility that we would have success. And I also had a miscarriage after one of our IUIs. So Um. yeah, we had, we had a lot of failure before we had success. Um, but I, Mm -hmm. I decided at that time that we should take a step back and maybe look at the path that we were on. We went and met with an adoption attorney and talked to them about what it would take for us to adopt here in Georgia and what the cost would be and the time frame. And mm-hmm. at the time, it was just informational. We filled out some paperwork. We kind of talked to them about you know, what a profile would look like. And then we went on our way. <clears throat> and we ended up actually going back to the doctor and doing some more testing and realized that there were a whole host of other issues at play that maybe we would be able to treat and maybe we wouldn't. So we thought, mm-hmm. let's try and treat them and see what we can do. And mm-hmm. if we can have a biological child, great, but we can, we can adopt. There's this possibility of adoption mm-hmm. sitting back here waiting for us. Right. So we did all these other treatments and testing, and we even went to Mexico and had stem cell treatment there, wow. which was, pretty intense and Mm -hmm. obviously required travel, which is difficult when you're already trying to time everything and go through Mm -hmm. IVF. But we did all that and we did another IVF cycle. We found that we had two embryos that were normal. We had the embryos tested with a procedure Mm -hmm. called CGH and that tests uh, all 23 pairs of chromosomes and can tell you whether or not the embryo is considered to be normal. So we had two normal embryos that we transferred in January of 2010. I'm sorry, 2011. And, and so how, how long have you already been on this journey by that time? This is three, three and a half years in. Okay. So we're at the three and a half year mark in January. We do the first transfer at that clinic that year, we're thinking, this is it. It's going to be great. And we had a failed cycle. And that was, mm-hmm. that was it. That was the last cycle we were doing. That was fresh cycle number four, as they would call it in the infertility mm-hmm. world. And we were done. We mm-hmm. felt like we had nowhere left to turn. We weren't sure what options were available to us outside of, you know, another IVF that would probably just sink more money and have a negative result. Um, So all of this is incredibly expensive also. Yes. At that time we had probably spent, now mind you, we had, uh, we had insurance that covered infertility treatment, luckily. Oh, fantastic. Which is a very unusual circumstance. Right. And not to get into the nitty gritty details of it, but we had enough that we were able to cover four cycles, four fresh cycles. Um, of IVF, which is amazing coverage. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. even with the infertility coverage, we spent probably in the neighborhood of $100,000 trying to have our first child. So 
when that last cycle failed and every hope went down the drain with it, or so it felt, um, I just, I felt very stuck and was not really sure what was going to happen. I knew we could try surrogacy, but I knew Mm -hmm. it was exponentially more expensive. I knew that we could adopt, but I knew the process would be long and it would be expensive as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I knew that we could attempt to use you know, donor eggs, but same thing. It's all more money, more money. And I just didn't know, you know where that money was going to come from or, right. or what the process was going to be. And I, mm-hmm. I, in my mind, I thought, I can't go through one more Christmas without a child. That cannot mm-hmm. happen to me after I had just gone through one. So right. we were sort of in the process of figuring everything out when one night we got a phone call from the adoption attorney with whom we had met the year prior. Mm-hmm. And I had done some work with her through Resolve, and I thought it was rather odd that she was calling me on a Saturday night. So I didn't answer. Um, can my- I- Sorry, go ahead. Uh, can I um, have you explain to people real quickly what Resolve is? Sure. Resolve is the National National Infertility Association, and mm-hmm. they provide help to men and women that are experiencing infertility, which mm-hmm. m- my understanding is that number is one in six at the time of this interview. So one in six right. women in the country is experiencing infertility of some kind. Mm-hmm. And they provide support groups, they provide online support groups, they do walks, they do educational programs, they really offer a lot. They do a lot of work with legislation to make sure that infertility Mm -hmm. treatment is still available to people in every state in the U.S. So it's a great organization. If you are experiencing infertility and you need help, this is the first place I would go is to resolve. Okay. This podcast is supported by Posh Peanut. Raising a family can be tough, as we know, and it can also be amazing and beautiful. Posh Peanut gets it, which is why they make beautiful, soft clothing that is tough enough to withstand all of the rough and tumble of childhood, and they have sizing for parents as well. You could even get matching clothing for the whole family. Made from viscose from bamboo, the clothes stretch with your kid as they grow and are four times stretchier than cotton. These clothes are made to last loved by parents, and approved by kids. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, beautiful, and stylish clothing for kids and families designed in-house, from beautiful florals to your favorite brands such as Hot Wheels, Disney, Hello Kitty, and Barbie. It's also breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate on sensitive skin. So I got my Posh Peanut loungewear, and I've been putting it on, especially after my long client days, because I need the instant comfort and relaxation. It's one of the ways that I do my self-care because the soft, stretchy fabric of the Posh Peanut loungewear is really comforting to me. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code MIND. Go to poshpeanut.com slash mind and use promo code MIND for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com slash mind, promo code MIND. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky 
wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. I'll be sure to, to put them in the resource page uh, for this episode. Um, so sorry to interrupt you, but it, that's a, an important thing for people to know about. Certainly. Um, so, so your lawyer called you. Yes. Yeah, so she called on a Saturday night and I thought it was very strange and I didn't answer the call initially and let it go to voicemail. And probably 30 minutes later, I thought oh, I should probably check and see what she wanted. Mm-hmm. And when I answered the phone or listened to the message, rather, she had left a message stating that there was, um, a woman in labor at a hospital locally. And she was interested in placing her child for adoption, but they did not have profiles of any families that they could present to her at that time. And so my husband and I had been contacted because we had explained previously when we'd met with them that we were interested in adopting a biracial child if the opportunity presented itself because we have a niece and nephew that are biracial as well. Mm-hmm. So they had contacted us as a result of that and said, hey, we remembered this. Would you be interested in presenting a profile? And we said, of course we would. We didn't even hesitate. <laughs> so we proceeded to put a profile together that night. And they presented the profile to her the next day, along mm-hmm. with the profile of another couple or not a few other couples. I know at least one. And she on... I don't know if she chose us that Sunday, but that, that following Monday, I got a phone call at work saying, do you have some time to talk? And <laughs> her attorney and I said, oh my gosh, yes, I do. And she said, well, <laughs> you've been chosen. Oh, wow. And so we went from the very lowest of lows only yeah. a few weeks prior mm-hmm. to the very highest of highs that day. Yeah. Yeah. And that night we went to the hospital to meet our son. Wow. And yes. <laughs> oh, I have, I have chills. Oh. It was a pretty amazing experience. Mm-hmm. And we brought him home from the hospital that Thursday night. So three weeks prior, we found out or thought we would never have children. It just didn't seem like a, a possibility to that very day bringing our home from the hospital and it was quite the roller coaster. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Such a short period of time. In a very short period of time. So mm-hmm. we were very fortunate that you know, his birth mother chose us to parent him. He's an amazing kid. She's an amazing person. Um, we immediately got along with her and her family. We had many similarities, uh, including having grown up in an area very close to one another, which was very ironic because we don't live in that same area now. So (laughs) it was, it was really an amazing experience. And I count her among my family. You know, we have a very close relationship with her and we feel very blessed to have her and her parents in our lives and to be able to Mm -hmm. continue contact with them, not only for Mm -hmm. us, but for our son as well. 
Sure. Yeah. So fast forward three years and mm-hmm. we had, um, we wanted our son to have a sibling and knew that probably IVF wasn't the answer. So we started to talk about adoption again. And I said, you know, one of the things that they said while we were going through infertility was that there was some issue with my body rejecting the embryos um, because of a, an immunological issue. Mm-hmm. And so in talking with my husband, I said, would you consider embryo adoption? And he said, well, I don't see why not. I said, I feel like the, the thing that I missed out on with adoption was not being able to be pregnant and, you know, care and nurture, care for rather, and nurture that baby for the first nine months of its life. So we went back to the doctor's office and said, listen, we're interested in embryo adoption. Um, And they very quickly said, oh, actually, we have an embryo that we think is a good match for you and your spouse. And so my son was, I guess it wasn't three years later. It was really two years later and it was about, he was about two and a half when we did our transfer, but my, my second son was three or my first son was three when my second son was born. Excuse me. Oh yeah. So they were born eight days apart in terms of birthdays. So I have a a February 6th baby and a February 14 baby. And yes. And so our second son came to us by embryo adoption, which is obviously very different journey from your standard adoption, mm-hmm. but really amazing nonetheless. Um, came with a different set of issues in the hospital than an adoption and a lot mm-hmm. of very curious questions from many of the medical staff, oh. um, which is an, another separate issue. And, right. yeah. <laughs> and, and then six months later, I discovered that I was pregnant naturally um, wow. which was a huge surprise to us because we really didn't think that we would ever have a biological child. And right. the biology piece of it is not important in the least actually to us is just that it was overwhelming that we had gone through so much only mm-hmm. to have a quote unquote surprise pregnancy after mm-hmm. all those years of trying and all of that interaction. So yeah. It was, it, it was an amazing journey. And my youngest son was born 14 months after the birth of my second guy. So wow. now the proud mom of three babies when I thought I would have zero. <laughs> so that's pretty amazing. I feel really blessed yeah. to be able to have any children, let alone three. And mm-hmm. I have three rambunctious boys to boot. So <laughs> we have a very, very busy household. Very busy. To say. And yeah, so that's how, that's where we are today. Three healthy, happy boys, very lucky parents, but definitely experienced a lot of ups and downs along the way. Sure. Um, so what happened uh, for post, the post-adoption depression? What was your journey there? How did you figure out what was going on? And, and with, which, with your first child? Yes. So after my son arrived, I obviously spent quite a lot of time getting my house ready, getting my life rearranged, immediately leaving my job. Um, mm. and, and well, for maternity leave anyhow. Sure. And things were very hectic initially. A lot of visitors, 
lots of friends and family calling. There was a lot of excitement and it was great, although very overwhelming and I was quite tired. Um, Mm -hmm. But as time wore on, the phone calls stopped coming, the people stopped visiting, and I realized that I was feeling kind of sad. And here I was with this beautiful baby that I had wanted all these years. And yet I just didn't feel like myself. I felt very isolated. I felt alone. And I didn't want to tell anybody because what would they think? You know, if I called my friends who were still struggling with infertility and said, hey, I'm not feeling like myself. I feel like I want to cry a lot. I feel like I'm trapped in my house, something's not right, I'm sad, mm-hmm. they would, I felt as though they would be upset because here I had exactly what they wanted. I was right. home with this great baby. I had all the things that I had wished for, and yet it still didn't feel right to me. And mm-hmm. so I didn't tell them. And my friends that had gone through a typical pregnancy, I didn't call because they thought, well, what will they think? Here, I, you know, I told them all when they were going through their pregnancies and everything was normal for them. And I was feeling very jealous, how horrible Mm -hmm. that now I would call them and say, I don't feel like myself. I feel very Mm -hmm. sad. And this thing that I wanted so badly now feels off. Something feels off. And um, so I just sat with it for a long time. And I finally actually had a conversation with someone that had adopted and it came up in conversation in a very strange way. We were talking about the baby and she was saying how cute he was and how exciting it was. And I started crying Mm -hmm. and she said, what's the matter? What's going on? And I said, I just, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I'm so sad and I shouldn't feel sad and it's the wrong thing. And we talked about it and she said, no, 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 this is normal. You need to talk to somebody. You need to go see a doctor, you know, let them know how you're feeling. Make sure you talk to your husband. And I think she recognized the post-adoption depression, although she never put a name on it. Mm -hmm. And within probably six weeks or so, I actually started back to work. And I think that was for me, the main thing that helped kind of bring me out of the place that I was in and Mm -hmm. to help get me talking to people. It got me back conversing with other adults on a regular basis, which actually was very helpful, even though I didn't talk about how I was feeling. It Mm -hmm. got me used to talking to my friends again and being open and honest and having more conversations. And I felt a lot better it was able to start to be able to confide in people and say, gosh, this is how I'm feeling. It doesn't feel right. I'm embarrassed. I'm feeling lonely. I don't know what to do. And by talking to other people, I was able to work through the issues that I was having. And thank God for all those people that listened. All right. Right. So at, at what point did you understand that post-adoption depression is a thing and that that's what you were dealing with? I don't think that it was probably until a year later Mm -hmm. and I had seen some people posting about it in a Facebook group that I'm a part of. And Mm -hmm. I went, Oh, wait a minute. That I had that, that was me. Mm -hmm. 
And I recognized all the things that they were saying. And I saw that someone had written something about it. And I thought, oh, my God, I didn't even know. It didn't even occur to me. I just thought I was having a hard time adjusting to being a mom. It didn't Mm -hmm. occur to me that it had a name and that it was post-adoption depression. And now, of course, anytime I know somebody that's adopted, I make sure (laughs) I check in on them and talk to them about, you know, what I, what happened to me so that it Mm -hmm. doesn't happen to them. Or if it does happen to them, that they recognize it because I I literally had no clue until a year later. And I wish Mm -hmm. I'd known because I probably would have done more about it. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Wow. Right. It would have been better more quickly. Throughout this process, through through infertility, through adoption, through your pregnancies, did anyone ever talk to you about depression or anxiety during infertility or or, uh, postpartum or post-adoption? Yes. With the infertility, absolutely. It was talked about incessantly. Mm -hmm. They talked about it at the doctor's office. They made you meet with a therapist there. Uh, Mm -hmm. I went to support groups. We talked about it in the support groups and how infertility can be Um, not dissimilar to having um, cancer or some other, you know, terminal illness where the levels of depression are so high amongst people experiencing infertility that Mm -hmm. they know that this is a commonplace problem, which is why many of the infertility clinics make you talk to somebody at the outset of your journey. Before you begin IVF, you need to sit down, speak with a counselor, make sure that you're basically cleared for treatment although they wouldn't necessarily put that label on it. Mm -hmm. That's basically what's happening. So at the time, yeah, it was really drilled into my head that there was a high rate of depression associated with infertility and that anxiety was a big piece of that. 
and that, you know, you should seek help if you needed it. And I did. Mm -hmm. I went to an infertility therapist on a Mm -hmm. regular basis. I saw her once a week for a long time. She was a huge Mm -hmm. help. The support groups that I attended were also a huge help for me because it made me feel like I was part of a group and there was a sense of belonging Mm -hmm. instead of feeling like I was navigating this crazy journey on my own. There were other people going through the same thing at the same time. And they'd either had similar experiences or they could offer information. Say, I saw this doctor. I didn't like him. You know, I had this blood test. This was my result. Uh, There was, there were so many commonalities that it, it actually, made me feel a lot better to feel like I was part of the infertility community, so to speak, mm-hmm. rather than just being someone experiencing infertility. Right. Uh, so from that perspective, absolutely. But I never heard the term post-adoption depression until mm-hmm. I had literally had my son home for a year. And mm-hmm. it's possible that if we had had more adoption education prior to him coming home, that maybe we would have heard it there. Mm-hmm. Although even to this day, it's not a term I hear thrown around a lot. And right. I still see people posting in Facebook groups talking about, you know, not feeling connected, not feeling like they're bonding with their child, all mm-hmm. signs of post-adoption depression that they're not necessarily calling depression. Right. Wow. Um, so, right, you went through a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot for a pretty a long time. Yeah. Um, uh, and unfortunately, I mean, I'm so thankful for you for sharing your story and your experience, both with the infertility and the post-adoption and the embryo adoption, um, because these, these are things that are out there that for the most part, people aren't talking about unless, you know, they're in that world. Yes. Um, and then we're all, we all get in that world by being in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and you've been through so much and it sounds like now with some of the work that you're doing, uh, you're, you're trying to inform people and trying to be support to people. Can you, can you tell us more about what you're, what you've done and what you're doing in, in infertility and adoption? Sure. Well, I started doing work with Resolve many years ago when I first found out that we were going to have to pursue IVF to build our family mm-hmm. Because I thought, well, here's an organization that's doing something for people in my situation. I should basically give back. And so I started volunteering with them. I put together educational series on a variety of topics, you know, everything from just basic infertility all the way through adoption and third-party reproduction. Mm -hmm. Um, I organized walks to try to raise awareness of infertility. Um, and, and also simultaneously raise money for the organization. I led a support group, which was probably the thing that I I feel had the most impact, or at least where I saw the most impact because I was Mm -hmm. able to see what happened individually with people that came to my group where they came initially feeling very lost and alone and afraid. Mm -hmm. And those people, most of them left because they became pregnant or they adopted. So, you know, to see someone at their lowest low and then they leave your group at their highest high is really an amazing experience. So that was, the support group was probably the thing that I felt had the most impact on the people around me and in turn, the most impact on 
for me because it made me feel like I was doing the right thing for other people. I was sharing the information that I had. I was making sure that they didn't feel lost and alone the way that I did at times. And then if I was able to stay connected with them after the group, um, then I was able to pass on my information that I had now about post-adoption depression and help them to make sure that they recognized it in themselves or even, you know, just postpartum depression. You know, Mm -hmm. many of those women went on to have babies and plenty of them came back and said, I just, I don't feel like myself and I don't know what to do. I feel, I feel like a fraud because I went Mm -hmm. to all these lengths to have a baby and now I'm sad. And that those two things are very hard to marry. If you've been through that experience, um, it's, it's so difficult. I can't even really describe Mm -hmm. the emotion involved with getting the thing that you've always wanted. And then having this depression associated with it, even saying it out loud, it feels wrong because I love my son so much and he made me so happy and Mm -hmm. none of it is actually related to him. But when you say it out loud, it makes it feel like it's related to that child. And and in fact, it's not. Obviously, I mean, if you do any research, you realize that it's about chemical imbalance and that it's not about you and it's not about the baby. It's it's outside it's something outside of you that you don't mm-hmm. have control over. And mm-hmm. it's, it's an important message to share with people because it, it is very difficult to take that shame away. I'm still, you know, my son's five now. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. five years out from that. And mm-hmm. I still have a hard time describing it without feeling a tremendous amount of guilt. Right. And I think that's such a big thing that, that it, wherever people are in the process and, dealing with infertility or during pregnancy or postpartum or post-adoption, they're having any time of, um, of mental wellness, mental health complications. This guilt is overwhelming. It really um, is. This, I mean, no one chooses to feel horrible uh, or horribly. Nobody wants to feel the way that they feel. It's, and like you said, it's hard to have these polar opposite things, uh, you know, having the child you've always wanted and then, however you're feeling afterwards, either needing some time alone or feeling sad or maybe even not feeling connected to them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to, to understand how those two things can happen at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you were talking about doing some um, education and support around adoption. What's happening there? So I felt like there was a need to educate nurses and doctors, especially on the delivery floors about not just adoption, but also about third-party reproduction. And part of the reason that it came to me is twofold. First of all, when my son, my first son was born and we went through the adoption process, when we were at the hospital, I didn't feel like the nurses were particularly supportive of either party while we were at the hospital with my son's birth mother. So I felt like they made her feel a little bit guilty for placing Mm -hmm. her child for adoption. And subsequently, they made myself and my husband feel like we were persona non grata in the room because they would not give direction to us. For instance, when my son was discharged from the hospital, they wouldn't give his care instructions to myself or my husband. They gave them to his birth mother. And I felt like, that was, you know, it, 
it was wrong on a lot of levels, but it was particularly painful because here is my son's birth mom, who's a wonderful person. She's made this choice for her child. It's an incredibly difficult choice to make. I don't know how she did it, but she did. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's basically like they're chastising her for making some, making a choice that they don't agree with. And so they're, they're, they're penalizing her Wow. We're doing this while I'm standing yeah. there with an audience. Okay. Right, and then right. in addition to that, they're not giving the appropriate care instructions to myself and my husband. So we're not right. allowed to ask questions. We're basically bystanders in the room. So wow. you're sending me home with an infant <laughs> that mm-hmm. I've had no preparation for. And right. I only get the care instructions that you provide in those two minutes to his birth mom. And I am not allowed to ask any questions. And to wow. me, that felt, not only did it feel wrong, because it is wrong, mm-hmm. but legally, to me, it felt like they were doing themselves a huge disservice because yeah. you have this baby going home with a family that obviously wants to care for them and do the right thing, but right. we don't even know what we're supposed to do. I mean, they're talking about care of circumcision. Well, if I had a question, I wasn't allowed to ask it, so... I had to wait and get in with my pediatrician, luckily, the very next day. But I think that just opens up hospitals to a whole host of legal ramifications that they probably don't want to expose themselves to. And maybe the hospital administration doesn't realize that this is happening. So Mm -hmm. we can put together some adoption education and help people understand what the process is, what they're legally obligated to do, because maybe some people are doing it out of what they believe is you know, fear of repercussions for not following the legal system. You know, Mm -hmm. they're not the parents. She's the mom. She needs the information. And if they better understood what the law actually said, then they could provide a better level of care for everyone involved in the triad. Right. Um, And then the second part of it was when my second son was born, because he was a result of a donor embryo, we were in the hospital and constantly being asked questions about why he looked different from us. Where did Mm. he get that red hair? Even though my son doesn't have red hair, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, when he was born, apparently his hair looked red to the nurses. And so they kept asking all of these questions and it was like, you should have read our, our file probably before walking in the door. But in addition to that, at a very sensitive time, pointing out the differences between a parent and the child doesn't help with the bonding process. And so, and that's a very important thing. I mean, we, we hear about it all the time in the news. It's something that's really, I think, pounded into women, especially Mm -hmm. that the bonding process initially with your baby is so important. And, you know, all of the kangaroo holds and all the things mm-hmm. that need to happen in the hospital, skin to skin contact and all of that. It's really drilled into moms to say, Hey, bonding is important. And when a nurse is standing there pointing out all the differences between you and your baby and right. you know why those differences are there, it really, mm-hmm. it makes you feel off. It just makes you feel yeah. off. It's a very off-putting thing to have happen to you. And my hope is that by educating people about third-party reproduction so that they understand, you know, what is a surrogate? What does that mean? What does that Mm -hmm. mean legally? You know, Mm -hmm. what about embryo adoption? 
when someone mm-hmm. adopts an embryo or they're the legal guardian of the child, yes, they are in fact the legal guardian. You know, <laughs> right. Why is the baby going to look different? How did you carry the baby? That doesn't make sense to me. And even though they're in the medical profession, they may not have the knowledge right. of third-party reproduction. So my hope is that you know we would be able to give them the information that isn't being presented currently to everybody. And mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, once they see that, they'll say, oh my gosh, I can be more sensitive to my patient in the following ways and realize that not everyone had a traditional, mm-hmm. you know, go home, have a glass of wine, end mm-hmm. up pregnant at the end of the night <laughs> and, you know, be sensitive to some of the other things that are happening along the way for these women. I mean, if you're talking about one in six women that are experiencing infertility, the vast mm-hmm. majority of the women that experience infertility do go on to become parents one way or another. So mm-hmm. those women are all going to end up in a maternity ward at some point, whether right. it be for the birth of their own child or whether it be the adoption of a child that they're bringing home from the hospital. So mm-hmm. to be sensitive to them in that very delicate time, I think is really, really important. And I think education is really the, the key to helping Absolutely. everybody in that in that room function better together. Absolutely. Wow. That is great, great work. And, um, it's so needed. Um, it's such a gap in care, um, for the whole family, for everyone involved. Um, people are not getting the information, this information that they need to, to be able to at least support a healthy connection, a healthy bond, a healthy journey through, um, through whatever the process is. Um, and I think you're, what you're doing is amazing and so, so needed. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to tell us about your story and your experience and uh, what you've been through and, and how you're helping people around you. It's just amazing. Um, and I know you're helping so many people. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time, Kate. By joining us today and listening, you're a part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this free podcast so that Mom and Mind can be found by moms, families, and providers who will benefit from hearing our talks. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com where you will also find links and information from today's episode. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're, Amy, more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.